1: Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 558 of the Packaday Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman got a lot to cover today. We're going to continue our series breaking down the position groups from 2019. I'm going to be talking with Brandon Thorne, who is one of the uh, really smart offensive line gurus, uh, and he'll kind of break down some of his thoughts uh, from the offensive line over the course of 2019. I'll give some of my thoughts as I kind of graded every play throughout the course of the season as well. Of course, the Super Bowl just ended, so I'll give my thoughts on that as well. Uh, But let's be real. Uh, This is the start of the week that what we've all been Waiting for the XFL is kicking off. Uh, no idea what's going to happen with the XFL. Totally joking, of course, but uh, we'll maybe get to a little bit of that as this week goes on as well. But of course, I want to spend uh, a good portion of this uh, this opening here talking about the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it's so fun throughout the entire course of the season and offseason to talk about the NFL draft and to talk about uh, free agent signings and, and all the moves that happen in season and how players get better and players who get cut in the final. 53 roster cutdowns and everything that goes into the season that makes it so much fun, that makes us all fans of the game. Uh, But this is what, you know, it's all about. This is what uh, we get so geeked up about all season long. It's to get to this point, uh, I thought you had a matchup of two tremendous football teams in the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. Really one of the the Super Bowls that I was most looking forward to in a long time, non-Packers Super Bowls, I should say, uh, in a long time, uh, just because I thought it was a really intriguing matchup. I thought the 49ers were the more well-rounded, all-around team. I thought the Chiefs had uh, a lot of the weapons. And just like I've, I've mentioned a couple times already, that uh, that offense that's just so unstoppable, that video game offense. And no matter what lead the opposing team has, the, the Chiefs could just make it up in an instant. And they showed that again uh, today. That being said, w- when this game was 20-10, to and I'm going to fast forward to, to that point right then and there, uh, I thought this game was over. I, I didn't think that this was going to be a situation... I'm actually. I'm going to rephrase that. I didn't think it was over. I thought the 49ers were going to win. I didn't think uh, that it was over. I certainly thought that the Chiefs had a had a legit chance in that game still. But I thought the 49ers were going to win it. I didn't think that the the 49ers defense was like that of Houston, or like that of Tennessee. Uh, I, I, you know, this is exactly what the San Francisco 49ers are built for, to be up with a 10 nothing lead, to be able to milk the clock with their running game, uh, to be able to play really strong defense. Uh, and and I, that just did not show itself in this game at all. And a lot of credit goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I mean, the, the ability for them to make up points in a blink of an eye is is really incredible. Uh, you know, when they're clicking, that offense, you know, has me thinking back to the greatest show on turf uh, with uh, the St. Louis Rams and Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce, who, of course, went into the Hall of Fame or was elected to the Hall of Fame uh, this weekend. Marshall Falk, uh, you know, that, that whole team uh, was ridiculously good. And uh, that's that's the kind of offense that this reminds me of when they're clicking on all cylinders. And when you've got players like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and just the offensive mind of Andy Reid, uh, it just shows what uh, you can do on offense when you have a quarterback that's, uh, the has the ability of Patrick Mahomes, who didn't play his best game by any stretch of the imagination, but played uh, lights out when they needed him to. And uh, for the 49ers, uh, you know, for Kyle Shanahan, uh, really surprised with how he managed this game. And I fully, fully recognize the fact that what San Francisco does well is is run the football, play smart offense, and play really good defense. And when you've got two-minute situations at the end of the half, potentially, you're taking all those things that you do really well away and you're kind of putting the ball into Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. And that is maybe not the best recipe for success, but I would have expected that Kyle Shanahan would have learned uh, from his game with the Atlanta Falcons when they had a 28 to three lead against the New England Patriots, and not playing to lose. You know, playing aggressively, playing to win the game, uh, putting putting the ball in the hands of your players that got you to that point in the first place. And I thought that that first half was really telling that, you know, they were trying to play games on their terms. They were trying to, you know, kind of bleed that clock out, even even in the first half, even when it was uh, a tie game. And, and listen, they had a twenty to ten lead. It, they had them right where they wanted them to be. They had the Chiefs right where they wanted. And it just it it didn't work out. And I, I fully believe that a part of that is is how that game was managed by the 49ers. And I just don't think, you know, there's no guarantee. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that this 49ers team, as good as they are and as good as Kyle Shanahan is, I would be willing to bet that they don't end up in another Super Bowl. This is your shot. you got to manage it that way. And to play even scared a little bit, I, I just don't think that you can manage a game like that in a Super Bowl and come away a winner very often. I think you have to play to win. And I just don't think you have would have the regrets. You know, if you put everything on the line and you played to win and you played aggressively and the other team beat you, I think you tip your cap and I think you can live with yourself. I think Kyle Shanahan's really gonna be questioning the way that he managed that game. I think if they were only down a point at the end of the game and they had that field goal from the first half, if they would have maybe been a little bit more aggressive, you know, who knows how the game would have uh, differed From that point forward, but I think they would have been in a much better situation to potentially get you know get away with a win and and really win a Super Bowl. So that was one of my biggest takeaways from that game. Um, You know, a a couple other notes. You know, congratulations, Andy Reid. You know, by all accounts, I've never met Andy. I shouldn't say that. I've I've pseudo met Andy Reid one time when I was like seven or eight years old. I pulled up in my uh, my grandpa's uh, driveway with my parents, and uh, there was Andy Reid. He knew my grandpa. My grandpa was a Um, was a usher for the Packers and uh he somehow got to know quarterbacks coach Andy Reed uh, he was in my my uh, grandpa's driveway and I saw him there at that time he signed a uh, an Andy Reed business card uh, for me and that that was I didn't know of course you know what a quarterbacks coach would you know come to be at that point but uh, that was my one-time meeting Andy Reed but by all accounts you know one of the real classy people in the NFL a Hall of Fame career even if he had lost the game today this was the cherry on top this was was the icing on the cake, and and certainly somebody that was unbelievably deserving uh, for his work, of course, with the Packers and and what he did, uh, you know, really, you know, helping to develop Brett Favre, going to the Eagles and having such a successful run there, even though they they couldn't cap it off with a Super Bowl win, and then now with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, towards the twilight of his career, and now winning the Super Bowl, uh, just a a really cool day and a cool moment for Andy Reid, and I was I was really excited about that. Um, you know, as far as everything else goes, you know maybe a couple of the other noteworthy points. Uh, Sammy Watkins, after the game, shouted out Devontae Adams for kind of showing him how to release on Richard Sherman, which uh, Watkins got the big release on the on the big catch late in the game that kind of set set Kansas City up to kind of get one of those touchdowns late in the game and try to get back in the game. So uh, that was a really big play uh, for for the Chiefs and and Sammy Watkins in his post game press conference legitimately called out Devontae Adams and gave him. Uh, Credit for that. So, I, I thought it was a fantastic Super Bowl. There were certainly some questionable calls. I thought uh, Jimmy Garoppolo got hit in the head one time. There was, of course, the offensive pass interference on George Kittle. Uh, you know, listen, you want these games to be called as perfectly as possible because it's the Super Bowl and you work all season to get there. But it's all part of the game. And, and as a as a football fan, this game had a little bit of everything. You had the comeback. You had questionable coaching. You had some some questionable play, questionable play calls. You had some questionable officiating. You had, of course, the the touchdown that was on the the one inch line where you know there's a million cameras at this game, but if, uh, apparently one of them was not looking down the sideline to see if uh, you know Damian Williams got in the end zone or not uh, on that play. So there was there was a little bit of everything, a little bit of drama, a lot of drama, I should say. And uh, I think as a as a football fan, that makes for a really good game. I'm sure I'm sure that the uh, the 49ers fans would have uh, you know maybe liked a couple of different calls to go their way and potentially rightfully. So, uh, but I don't think it was anything super egregious, and I think I think ultimately the better team won that football game. And uh, the last thing I'll say about the Chiefs is I just and I, I tweeted this out uh, as well. I just don't know how many teams in the history of the NFL could be down twenty-four nothing in the divisional round, seventeen to seven in the conference championship game, and then twenty to ten in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter and win all those games, not only win all those games, win the Super Bowl, and win all of those games by double digits as well. I mean, that's insane. It's absolutely incredible. And uh, you would, of course, like the the Chiefs maybe to learn from those lessons a little bit and maybe not get off to uh, some of those rough starts. But it just shows you, you know, how good Kansas City and that offense are, and their defense made big plays when they needed to as well. Listen, that that Forty Niners offense, as as Green Bay fans know, is not easy to stop by any stretch of the imagination uh, when they are trying to bleed out clock. The the Vikings couldn't do it, the Packers couldn't do it, the Chiefs, when they needed to get stops, they they did it. And and I, like I said, I think the better team won that football game. Uh, we'll have uh, all week to kind of break down that game a little bit and start breaking down. Uh, again, some of the the other positional groups will continue that series this week as well. Like I said, maybe a couple people will cover the XFL starting this week and and maybe some of the former Packers that are, are going to be playing in the XFL. We'll see if anything comes of that. But uh, we're, I want to jump right away uh, into the offensive line and breaking down the play from 2019. If you haven't been uh, listening to our series so far, I definitely recommend going back. We've already hit up the... Co- excuse me, the uh, the uh, front office, the quarterbacks, the running backs, the receivers, and the tight ends. Uh, today I'll be covering the offensive line. And uh, again, to help me do that is Brandon Thorne. I'll introduce him in just a moment. I, I did an interview with him earlier this week. He was gracious enough to come on and help me do that. So without further ado, here is my interview with Brandon Thorne to break down the Packers offensive line play from 2019. All right. Joining me now is the offensive and defensive line analyst for Establish the Run. He writes the Broncos film room pieces for The Athletic. He's a content manager for the Scouting Academy and also a host of the Trench Warfare podcast. My guest is offensive line guru and somebody whose analysis that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And that's, of course, Brandon Thorne. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time from your busy schedule uh, to come join me today and talk some Packers offensive line. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet.
1: So one of the things that we're doing is we're kind of taking a look back at the 2019 season for the Packers. We're kind of going position by position and evaluating uh, how the you know individual position groups uh, you know kind of performed and kind of where they need to go going forward in 2020. I know that you obviously spend a lot of time breaking down offensive line play throughout the NFL, and I know you've had some time to take a look at the Packers offensive line as a whole as well. So I kind of want to just start off by asking you, what's kind of your, uh, from an outsider's non-Packers perspective perspective but offensive line guru perspective what's your assessment of the the Packers offensive line play from
2: this past year yeah so I think it starts with the offensive tackles and Green Bay is led by them and they're probably one of the three or four best duos in the NFL with David Bakhtiari left tackle and Brian Bulaga at right uh, so it really starts there for them, and I think that's really an elite offensive tackle duo, uh, considering the rest of the NFL um, up there with like New Orleans and maybe Baltimore, San Francisco, Philly, you know, teams like that. I kind of think of them in that in that vein. Uh, so uh, offensive tackles are very, very good, and then the interior, uh, you know, is is pretty solid. Um, I I think Corey Lindsley has been one of the more underrated centers for quite a while now. I've I've been a personal personally a big fan of him since I think it was like 2014 when he was splitting time with J.C. Treder. I always uh, really like Lindsley's game, and uh, he's you know, he's obviously a very good zone run blocker. So uh, I think he had maybe the best year of his career this year, um, definitely up there. And uh, the guards are an interesting. Um, you know skill set and just their their stature their physical nature uh with Elton Jenkins and um Billy Turner it's kind of a nice mix cuz i think everybody else is more of kind of a zone oriented blockers you know win with leverage quickness you know hand usage things like that and then turner and jenkins they can win with those things but um they're more of kind of like power oriented guys um, i think uh, so A really nice mix of of guys on the offensive line. And overall, I think it's one of probably the five best offensive lines in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think they had a really great, uh, you know, overall 2019. I thought there were a couple games where maybe that slipped up. The the first game against San Francisco and and the Chargers game, really a couple of those losses were a couple of those. But overall, throughout the course of the year, they Mm -hmm. certainly held up from a pass blocking standpoint. Uh, They were great uh, getting Aaron Jones, you know, all those touchdowns throughout the course of the year as well. But I'm curious. And I want to start with, with Corey Lindsley here uh, because I'm, I'm 100% with you. Uh, I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league, doesn't always get the credit that he deserves. He's uh, really been the stalwart at the, the middle of that offensive line for, for some time now. And I, I'm right there with you. I thought he had a, a really great uh, you know, season this past season. Uh, he's, he's really an interesting player. He can he, he can kind of get out to the point of attack. He uses his strength really well. Uh, I, want, I wonder if you could just maybe break him down a little bit more and, and what you kind of see in him that really stands out to you you on tape
2: yeah so i think in the context of an outside zone scheme and just a zone scheme you know which he's which you know green bay obviously likes to run uh, or like to run this year i think it starts with having a center who can reach uh, a shaded nose tackle uh consistently and he certainly can he's been doing that for quite a while um so i think that's where it starts i think when you have a center who can handle a nose tackle by himself It frees up the guards to climb to the second level and pick off linebackers uh, much easier. And it just allows the offensive line to achieve superior angles um, at a higher rate. And that's really valuable in that scheme. Um, So I think that's really, you know, kind of his biggest strength. And he does it in really crafty ways uh, using his quickness, which he's very quick off the snap. He does a really good job with his hands, his hand quickness as well, and placement, um, just in terms of getting inside a guy's frames really quickly to create leverage so he can achieve that reach block um, and, you know, seal them off. Uh, He can also climb to the second level effectively and, you know, get linebackers if, you know, it calls for it as well. Um, And he's a good pass protector, I think, just in general. Um, You know, not the biggest, strongest guy, so, you know, naturally when he faces off If he gets one on one with guys in the division, like maybe Linval Joseph, Akeem Hicks, uh, Eddie Goldman, you know, guys like that, Snacks, Um, you know, he can get overpowered. But you know, every guy has his weakness, and I think that's probably his. uh, But um, yeah, I mean, he has specifically just uh, one technique that I think he does at maybe the highest level in the league, certainly up there with the best. Is it's called like a jump hook technique, and I've highlighted it, written about it for you know, USA football and other places. But um, it's basically where, you know, at the snap, you it's it's predicated on quickness and explosiveness at the snap. And uh, you, you immediately basically what he does is just take both of his hands and just kind of chops down the hands of the shaded nose tackle and it causes him to usually fall on the ground. And you have to be extremely quick and extremely precise to do it. But it's called a jump hook technique. And, um, you know, center's You know, you know, some centers across the league use it, but uh, he does it at a very high level and it's really fun to watch. So he's if you know, I really love watching centers. I mean, that's probably my favorite position on the offensive line to watch, just partly because it's maybe the most overlooked. So I've kind of gravitated towards it. And uh, I think Lindsley is one of the better centers in terms of like just pure technique. And I think that's a big part of, you know, what, what allows him to win
1: at a high level. Yeah, he's a fun player to watch, and that was a really fantastic breakdown. I'm also curious your thoughts. I think probably the most... Uh, maligned of the group is, is probably Billy Turner. He gets a little bit of flack for, uh, you know, maybe some of the immediate pressures that he allows, maybe some some just kind of lapses in his play from time to time. Uh, I've been pretty consistent on my approach with Billy Turner. I think he's more of a run of the line average type right guard, maybe, maybe slightly below average, slightly above average in that range. Uh, but I think, you know, I think he's an okay guard, but in today's NFL, there's not a lot of great offensive linemen out there. And I think he, uh, even though maybe he's a little bit below average, I think he's average or maybe above average in comparison uh, to maybe other guards within the league. But uh, you obviously study these guards throughout the league uh, much closer than I do. I'm curious what your thoughts on Billy Turner are and where he would kind of rank uh, within the guards, you know, across the NFL.
2: Yeah, I I think he's pretty firmly in the below average category for me. Sure. Um, you know, so Billy Turner, just, you know, I watched him a good amount when he was with the Dolphins, uh, you know, playing tackle and guard and kind of had the same opinion of him. I thought he was pretty below average. And then, you know, he went to Denver last season and had the best like four or five game stretch of his career, I believe in left guard. Uh, and, you know, I think that that probably, um, you know was a big part of what earned him the contract he got but you know at the time of the signing I was really kind of surprised by it because I was a fan of everything Green Bay was doing in the off season, and and then to add Billy Turner I just thought it was kind of odd um, especially because you know I thought you know maybe Lane Taylor could have done that job or you know whatever I just I wasn't a big fan of the signing especially at the price tag and it kind of bared out that way like to me at least I you know he you know, I don't want to just completely knock them all. I'll talk a little bit about his strengths because I think he does have some. And that's really kind of what I touched on at the beginning was his size, strength and power, uh, you know, stand out in the run game, specifically uh, on double team and combo blocks with, you know, Bulaga. He does a nice job of getting of being really heavy at the point of attack and, you know, fitting on guys and getting them knocked over into bulaga's arms basically before he releases to the second level uh, so he does a really nice job of kind of creating that vertical displacement um, at the point of attack but you know aside from that i don't really see a lot of other strengths that he has i mean he's physical in nature just in general his competitive toughness is really good so he provides kind of a tone setting presence and pass protection you know looking for work and helping bulaga on the edge you know, kind of discouraging those inside counters from rushers because he's going to be there, you know, unloading on a guy. That's always valuable to have. But his weaknesses are pretty glaring. And I, I mean, you touched on him and it was exposed pretty much all season long uh, from what I saw because I just finished every snap of Brian Bulaga and I put together this extensive highlight tape and everything. And, you know, naturally I saw a lot of Turner in the process and I watched him over the course of the season as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, stunts and uh late looping blitzers and things like that really give him a lot of trouble i don't think his awareness or mental processing is very good at all in pass protection he gets lost a lot he doesn't see things very quickly and um his athletic ability is probably solid but when you are kind of a slow processor like that and you don't pick up things quickly uh, it really causes your play speed to suffer and you play kind of slow And I think that that's the case with him and he was kind of exposed a lot, you know, so uh, that's, you know, I I mean, I I think it's, you know, it's tough because of the contract he has. I don't know all the detail. I'm not a huge contract guy, but so I don't know how easily it would be to upgrade him. I think I would imagine, you know, he'd be there at least another year or so, but I think it wouldn't be the hardest thing in the world to upgrade him, you know, in the near future either.
1: Yeah, he's definitely going to have a spot on the roster this season for sure based off of his contract. And then they kind of have an out after that if they want to get out of it, which I think, uh, you know, based on his play this last year, I'm with you. I think there's a certain certainly an opportunity there. uh, If Green Bay does have the opportunity maybe to upgrade in the draft or or, or bring a couple new bodies in. But uh, that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. And I'm I'm 100% in agreement. I thought the twists, the stunts, uh, the different blitzes, mental processing and just kind of those mental lapses was to me the, the biggest issue with Billy Turner. Uh, Pro Football Focus, I know, had him rated middle of the line. I, you know, and you probably don't know this. I know a lot of the listeners do. Uh, I go through and grade every Packer on every single play, very similar to what Pro Football Focus did. I had him uh, quite a few spots, uh, you know, below what uh, Pro Football Focus did. And, uh, you know, I thought, especially at the end of the year, and I know he had an injury week 17, which uh, really affected him in that game. And I know Matt LaFleur gave him a ton of credit th- uh, for playing through that. Uh, but then the games against Seattle and the last game against San Francisco, I thought he really, really struggled. So uh, maybe the injury had something to do with that. Maybe it was just the, the talents of the, t- you know, players across from him. But uh, I'm with you. I thought he he was, you know, more in that below average category and, uh, you know, I think he could use a, a bounce back year and, and hopefully he can play uh, like he did, I think, a little bit earlier in the year uh, for Green Bay. But also, like you said, that stretch against Denver, which really earned him that contract. Uh, he was really good during that time as well. So I think it's going to be a big and interesting uh, 2020 for Billy Turner. Um, you mentioned your your film breakdown of Brian Bulaga, and he's really one of the more interesting uh, situations and scenarios for the Packers this off season, as he is one of their key free agents. He has not signed this upcoming year. Uh, they brought in Jared Valdeira at the end of this season. He is also an unrestricted free agent. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that right tackle position. Uh, You had mentioned earlier that uh, David Bakhtiari, Brian Bulaga, in your opinion, form one of the best tackle duos in the league, which I'm 100 percent in agreement with. How important is it for Green Bay to bring Brian Bulaga back? And do you think that there's a potential that that maybe they, they don't and maybe he ends up on another team this year?
2: Um, yeah, I think it would be really important. Uh, you, you know, he forms the strength of the offensive line. Obviously Bakhtiari is kind of like the best guy on the line, but then I think the second best guy is Balaga just cause, you know, I think he's a very good right tackle. I don't, I wouldn't call him elite, uh, personally, but I think he has elite moments in pass protection. Um, but just generally overall he's well-rounded and I think he's a very good pass protector and run blocker. Um, so Yeah, I think it would be really important to bring him back. Now, I understand with his injury history and, you know, contracts and things like that, it might get a little tricky. And, you know, I'm sure there will be some, you know, extensive discussions about that. So, you know, from that perspective, I I would understand if maybe he isn't brought back. But I personally would definitely want him back uh, just because, there's not a lot of good right tackles in the NFL. Um, you know, people think of, you know, the top five or six guys and they're, they're outstanding and there, there might be like 10, you know, good guys overall, but after that it's, you know, it drops off pretty significantly. So, uh, you know, I I think it's really valuable to have somebody like him, even with the injury history. Um, if you can get him on a, you know, on a, a deal that, you know, is, is fair. I think that, He's a priority, man. I mean, he he had a really good season. Uh, You guys faced, I think, the first six games or so. uh, Five of those six were all elite rushers off the right side, and I think he played pretty well considering that. He also dealt with a lot of injuries this year, Uh, significant ones played through them, and um, you could kind of see when his play would drop off a little, but it never really fell off too much to where he was a liability or anything like that, so credit to him for that. And um yeah I just I definitely you know I'm a fan I've been a fan of his for a long time and I think he's been one of the best right tackles for a long time so uh, I kind of just saw more of the same from him this year he was just able to stay healthy
1: Know. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think he is a, a major priority this offseason for a couple different reasons. And I know a lot of people bring up the, the injuries that, you know, Bulaga's had and that, you know, can can he really sustain, you know, that level of play and and, and can he can he really maintain his body enough to, to play enough snaps that's going to make him worth paying a, a massive contract too. But I just think that the alternative isn't good enough to, to really risk it. And like you said, there's just not enough good pass blocking right tackles in this league. And I think the drop off uh, from Brian Bulaga to, the next best option is is going to be fairly significant. And I think when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers who likes to hold the football as much as he does having those offensive tackles like David Bakhtiari and Brian Bulaga, who can really hold up for long stretches of time to give him that time that he needs to operate, I think is just, uh, you know, massively important to say the least. So uh, I think, you know, th- ideally you would maybe pick someone up early in the draft that you can develop for the next couple of years. Uh, Even if you have to maybe overpay him a little bit these next two years, I think that's okay, and I know from a salary cap structure with just paying the Smiths and and Billy Turner that we just talked about, Adrian Amos, they have to pay Kenny Clark coming up, Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley are a couple free agents in the next couple years as well, so uh, this isn't exactly an easy decision, but I definitely think that he has to be a priority based on his play the last couple years as well as just how important it is for pass protection with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback.
2: Yeah, you you bring up a good point with Aaron Rodgers. So that's one of the more important things with evaluating offensive line play and pass protection is what the quarterbacks are doing, and also the scheme and you know what they're asking the quarterback to do. But Rodgers, I think more than anybody in the league, holds onto the ball for really you know a lengthy amount of time quite often, and not just that, but he drops pretty deep in the pocket as well and that right there is kind of you know that for for usually like casual fans watching they'll see him get under pressure so you know and I think a lot of the time it's not on the offensive line with him in particular it's on him uh, because of not just the length of time that he holds it but also because he drops pretty deep you know generally from what I've learned and been taught is you know nine nine and a half yards behind the line of scrimmage is kind of the max drop point that you want as a quarterback uh, before, you know, if you drop deeper than that, then it's kind of on you at that point, you know, to get rid of the ball or, you know, you know, you can't expect offensive tackles to block these edge rushers further than that drop point, like nine and a half yards at the most. And when you watch Rogers, if you just pause the film when his back foot hits a lot of the time it's at 10, 10 and a half, even 11 yards sometimes. And that's just, kind of ridiculous i mean you know he can do it because you know he's rogers and you know he makes a lot of things work a lot of the time but uh i think the packers offensive tackles have maybe the most difficult job in the sport so i think that that's something to keep in mind in the midst of all this as well
1: yeah, it, it puts a lot of stress on those offensive tackles for sure. And I'm sure uh, it takes a little bit for them to get used to as well. Uh, Bulaga have obviously had a, a ton of time playing a, alongside Rodgers. But, you know, somebody coming in new and having to kind of adjust to that is probably a, a little bit of a
2: learning curve as well. Uh, very, I'm curious sorry, Very different than, say, Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes. They're very timing based, rhythmic based, getting the ball out quickly. It's very different pass protecting for guys like that than Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: I'm curious, you know, one of the the players that a lot of uh, fans really picked up and, and enjoyed watching this year was Elton Jenkins along the offensive line. I'm just curious how good you think he can be. I did think he hit a little bit of a rookie wall, and and teams kind of found out how to attack him a little bit more. I think they realized that playing him in a phone booth probably wasn't the best idea, and they, kind of like Billy Turner, uh, they used a, a few more twists and stunts against him and made him think a little bit more, tried to get off the line a little bit quicker so that they would maybe beat him with the first step. Uh, overall, I thought it was a, an incredibly successful rookie year but uh, as as the season went on maybe a little dip in play i'm curious just your general thoughts on how good you think he can be uh, going forward for this packers offensive line
2: i think he could be a very good left guard uh, i think he was a good left guard this season um you know some people i think the you know the pass rush or the pass block win rate thing kind of you know i think that was it that kind of elevated his status into elite company i thought that was premature and i I thought that was just wrong, you know, when you watch the film. Um, So that maybe inflated it a little bit and caused people to maybe, you know, just kind of overrate him, you know, in some circles. But um, at the same time, he was playing really well, you know, earlier in the season as opposed to late. His technique, I think, broke down a little bit later in the year, specifically his hands, got a little late at times with, you know, his strike timing and that allowed guys to get into his frame and kind of work you know, work through him a lot easier than earlier in the year. But, you know, so I don't think he's elite. I don't know if he'll ever be elite. Um, I don't want to say that's out of the question or anything, but I do think that he was good this season. And I think uh, he, he certainly can be very good, um, you know, moving forward. I'm a big fan of him. I liked him at Mississippi State. Uh, he can also play center, obviously. Um, he, he has that positional versatility that's valuable in case you get into a pinch. Um, so he really is a valuable guy uh, to have, especially on a rookie deal. I love that, you know, he made the starting lineup. I thought he would entering training camp. uh, I thought he was one of the best guys. Um, so it was really cool to, to see him get inserted pretty early on and, you know, play pretty well. But I do agree that, you know, as the year went on, he, uh, his technique, I think kind of, um, got away from him a little bit, but, Um, nothing that I don't think he'll improve on moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of the exciting aspect is that he was good and he was far from a finished product. If he can clean up some of that technique work and, uh, you know, really kind of hone his craft a little bit. I'm hopefully that it's, it's a scary thing to think about of how good he can be if he does really become that finished product. Um, because I'm with you. I thought some of the technique went on, uh, you know, failed him a little bit as the season went on. Uh, but I think he's a, a really exciting player to watch moving forward and just a perfect situation to be in uh, playing next to David Bakhtiari to his left side and Corey Lindsley to his right side with the, that veteran presence as well. So
2: Absolutely.
1: I think he's in a good spot going forward. Yeah,
2: totally. That's huge. Playing between two really good players like that, you know, an elite player in Bakhtiari. I mean, that only helps. Um, and, you know, it seems like there's going to be continuity there, at least for the next year or two. So that's really important continuity on the offensive line. So him having that and playing, you know, in the middle of guys like that is, you know, I think all signs are pointing towards him just getting better and, and becoming a really good player.
1: Yeah, it's a it's an exciting player to watch moving forward for Green Bay. Uh, the kind of the last thing I wanted to pick your brain on is, uh, you know, you kind of made mention earlier where you got kind of these these zone blocking players, but then you've got Jenkins and Turner who uh, maybe are a little bit more, uh, you know, power type players. Uh, interestingly enough, they brought in Turner and. Uh, Jenkins after they hired Matt LaFleur but of course uh, you know uh, Bulaga and and Bakhtiari and Lindsley were already established there I'm curious how you feel this offensive line fits what Matt LaFleur wants to do and are there any changes or tweaks that need to be made moving forward to really kind of fit that that zone blocking Matt LaFleur type system
2: yeah so I think it was definitely an interesting way to put the offensive line together but I I do appreciate I think what some of what they were trying to do and just having that element of more size and power at some positions at guard uh, just because it allows you to be a little bit, a little bit more multiple and uh, it allows you, you know, in spots. So maybe next year, if they want to kind of go the Kyle Shanahan route and, you know, incorporate more gap concepts into an outside zone based scheme, I think they're certainly able to do that. So that's kind of a nice flexibility to have, but um also Jenkins I think is a good zone run blocker himself Turner you know that fit is a little bit more odd I mean you know granted like I said on on those combo blocks on inside zone specifically uh when it's really important that that three technique gets pushed back a little bit at the point of attack and moved over into the tackles arms, you know, basically, so he can overtake easier on that double team. Uh that's kind of a really important part of an inside zone run. So having guards who are powerful enough to do that, I think, is important. Uh, so you have that element there, but you know, more of the pure outside zone stuff. I just don't think Turner's a great fit in there. Um, so that one was a little odd, but like I said, I could see some reasons why you may want a guy like that there. Um, plus he has some positional versatility just because of, you know, the fact that he played right tackle for so long. Uh, so I think that that may have been part of his signing as well. Uh, so there's a little bit of value there, although I don't think he's a very good right tackle. He still you know, has a lot of experience there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting construction of the, of the offensive line, but I think, you know, I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if next season we saw it become a little a little bit more multiple up front, um, like some of the you know better offenses in the league are so that that's kind of something that I'll, I'll be looking out for to see.
1: Yeah, I think if you look at this past offseason, and I'm with you, I thought the, the you know, Turner signing was the most interesting one. But I think if there was one trend from what Brian Gutekunst tried to accomplish this last offseason, it was to find big, physical, rare type players in the trenches. You look at uh, players like Billy Turner, you look at even Elton Jenkins to an extent, Mercedes Lewis, who they brought back at tight end on the other side of the football is Darius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, uh, just kind of rare, you know, size, size speed, strength type athletes, uh, even. Kingsley Kiki to a little bit lesser extent so I think he had a type that he was certainly trying to attack uh, bigger more physical type players and uh, whether that be you know scheme be damned or what I think they had a specific type of player he was trying to target and for the most part it worked out I don't like you said I think Turner had a little bit of a a lackluster season but uh, for the most part those players really worked out for him uh, this past season.
2: Yeah generally I yeah I agree you know I think obviously Turner of all those names you mentioned is the weakest guy um and you know it's it's all fine i totally understand you know getting you know that profile and all that but when it's it, when it's at the expense of being a liability and pass protection that's when it becomes an issue and i think turner is i don't really see him ever really getting over that i mean he can uh, just because you know we have 5 6 years of tape now at this point i mean yeah. you know granted he's in probably the best situation, definitely the best situation he's ever been in, in terms of playing alongside a guy like Brian Bulaga, playing alongside a guy like Corey Lindsley. Um, So from that perspective, I think that we could see, and I would expect, I would hope to see some improvement next year, but I don't ever think that when you're facing a defensive line like the, you know, 49ers or um, just any defensive line with, you know, a couple of elite rushers on it, uh, you know, there's probably a good chance that, you know, he's going to be the guy that they want to expose and they'll probably have some success doing it. So just something you have to work around. I mean, every, every team in the league, you know, has an offensive lineman that they kind of have to work around for the most part. So, you know, it's nothing that I don't think will hinder them from being able to win at a high level, but definitely the, you know, he'll be the weak link moving forward, I think.
1: And San Francisco certainly attacked that weak link in the NFC championship. Game. Too. Yeah, sure. they certainly did. They yeah. certainly did. All right, Brandon, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so incredibly much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, any final thoughts sure. or anything else that you'd like to plug on your uh, your way out the door here?
2: Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, just uh, maybe throw out Offensive Line Masterminds. It's a event that's going to be taking place this summer for the third year in a row. I'll be there. It's in Texas, uh, Dallas, Texas. So yeah, just a cool event where, there's about 30 or 40 NFL offensive linemen as well as college guys that come in and we meet and we talk about the position and I'm in those rooms and it's it's just really a privilege to be in there uh, I'm just kind of like a sponge in there soaking it all up and I the reason I get to go is because I I put together all the highlight tape of all the pass rushers that we're going to study so um you know anytime you know i guess if you want to talk about pass rushers too I'd, I'd be happy to join you as well i know you got a few really good ones here so uh but yeah that event is really cool and i'll have some work coming out on my twitter account and other places uh um you know just pass rush packages i call them of some of the best rushers in the league so just another thing to look out for for people
1: well, appreciate it so much. You do phenomenal work for those listening. Make sure to go follow Brandon at Brandon Thorne NFL. Brandon, enjoy the offseason. Enjoy the draft. I know the grind never stops. Uh, keep up the tremendous work, and we'll absolutely have to talk to you soon.
2: All right. Thanks, Andy.
1: A huge thank you to Brandon Thorne for joining me on today's podcast. I thought he had a lot of great points. And again, he's really one of the best at breaking down line play. Uh, Make sure to go out and follow him on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. I really appreciate him coming on. Uh, You know, I think that did uh, a lot of the talking, but I do want to just kind of break down player by player uh, what I thought of the offensive line play in 2019. Give some of my thoughts as we go into 2020 as well. Again, this is a lot based off of my, my play by play review uh, of, Of the players throughout the 2019 season. So uh, let me start with David Bakhtiari. Uh, I thought he had a really good season once again, uh, but I thought if you look at his tape over the course of the last two years in comparison to 2019, I thought this was his weakest year and he struggled with power uh, more than he did in any previous year. And uh, this isn't to call out David Bakhtiari or say that he had a bad year because that's ridiculous. He still played at a very high level, but it was a step down from, in my opinion, all pro David Bakhtiari. So uh, again, this isn't uh, Uh, This isn't a dedicated time to to rip on David Bakhtiari, one of the best players on the team, but I think it's important to note too that there was a little bit of a step back in his play, specifically dealing uh, with players who converted speed to power and were able to bull rush him back into the quarterback. There were actually uh, quite a few plays where Aaron Rodgers had to immediately feel pressure from his left side. You know, Give credit to David Bakhtiari, one of the things that he is tremendously skilled at is even when he gets bull rushed back like that and, and Rogers has to kind of feel it a little bit. Bakhtiari is such a pro and is so adept at staying between the defensive lineman or the edge rusher and Aaron Rodgers. And, and even though that there's that pressure, the, the the defensive lineman or the pass rusher has a really difficult time making that final play to get Rodgers to the ground. Um, it's still not a great play because it puts a lot of pressure on Rodgers It forces him to you know kind of be aware of that left side a little bit more and maybe pull the ball down rather than keeping his eyes downfield. So uh, it, again, it's not a great play, but I think Bakhtiari still deserves credit for for being able to re-anchor, reset himself, and make sure that he's staying between himself and Rogers, so he can kind of keep that play alive a little bit. But overall, a good year. I thought he fit in well with Matt Lafleur's offense. I thought he ran block. You know, was a solid run blocker. He's, that's never going to be the key part of his game, but he kicked out really well on some of those toss plays to the outside. Um, and like I said, still one of the best left tackles from a pass protection standpoint in the NFL. Uh, but I do think he struggled with speed to power and, and some of those bull rush moves. And, and I'll say this as well. I think early in the year. Uh, he had some trouble with his back. He had a couple nagging injuries and you could see that really, uh, you know, affect him. And he really had trouble anchoring. I thought as the season went on, he got better with that. It didn't you show up quite as much. And this is nothing new for David Bakhtiari either. This has always been kind of his weakness. Uh, I thought it was a little bit more uh, prevalent this year. Uh, you wouldn't, you would see it in previous years, but it would be few and far between. Like I said, a little bit more prevalent this year, but uh, again, this is not to, this is not a pick on David Bakhtiari fest. I think he still had a really nice year. Uh, but again, I do think it was a little bit of a step back. Um, and hopefully next year, you can kind of get back to playing at, at really what should have been you know, a first team, second team, all pro type level You know, over the course of 2017, 2018. And like I said, hopefully you can get that back this year, but still a really, really nice season from David Bakhtiari. As far as Elton Jenkins goes, um, I, I think you had a little bit of two seasons from Elton Jenkins. You had his first eight to nine to ten games ish where he was fantastic. He was nothing short of fantastic. I thought literally at that time he was playing uh, near a Pro Bowl level. And then I thought as the you know proverbial rookie wall hit, I think a couple things happened. I, th- I think he did legitimately hit a wall. I, I think you could see that there was literally you know kind of a line in the sand where you started seeing him not play as well. And I also think offensive uh, excuse me defensive linemen and defensive coaching staffs kind of figured out Jenkins a little bit as well uh, you know he started off you know by playing players a little bit more in a phone booth really be able to kind of maul them and handle them physically and as the season went along uh, you know opposing uh, defenses really tried to make him think a little bit more uh, through some different twists and stunts at him you know tried to make him uh, so that it wasn't just him playing in a phone booth tried to attack him with speed a little bit more and, and really tried to beat him on a first step as well and overall Jenkins had a really nice year and I think this is a huge building block for him. I think the big question is going to be is how does he look in year two? Does he, does he clean up some of those technique things? Uh, Does he build upon this year and does he get better? And I think the other question is, do we see the Elton Jenkins from the first 10 games consistently next year or was the second half of the year more, you know, teams figuring out how to attack him and, and that's just who he is as well. So there's, There's a tiny bit of trepidation there, you know, a a tiny bit of fear, but I think overall this is a player with a ton of upside and who is going to be a stalwart in that that left guard or that you know at least the interior of the offensive line for a very long time to come. It would not surprise me to see him play in Green Bay within the interior of the offensive line for the next decade, and he certainly seems more than up to the task. Corey Lindsley, fantastic season. I I thought, as both Brandon and I mentioned, that he is uh, one of the underrated players in the league, not only on the Packers. I think we touched on that quite a bit with Brandon, but one thing I do want to mention, I am not advocating for this. I am a huge Corey Lindsley fan, and uh, this this is not me putting this uh, into the world so that it comes to fruition. In fact, quite the opposite. If it were me, uh, Corey Lindsley has a spot locked up on this roster next season, but Uh, Corey Lindsley is one of the few contracts that Green Bay can get off next season, save about $8 million and uh, have potentially a player that can kind of take his spot in Lucas Patrick. And I know what you're thinking. I know the the immediate reaction is going to be if you think that you can replace Corey Lindsley with Lucas Patrick, you're out of your mind. And I get that to an extent. However, I will also mention that if I would have said, you know, oh, next season the Packers can cut Josh Sitton so that Lane Taylor could take his spot, that would have sounded crazy. If I would have said last season, oh, they can cut Mike Daniels so that Tyler Lancaster and Montrevious Adams could take his spot, that would have seemed crazy as well. My point being here is that when there's a surprise cut, It usually is somebody that is making a lot of money and you can get off of it and you potentially have somebody who can play that position at least at an adequate level so maybe you can allocate those resources elsewhere. And where this could come into effect is potentially if Green Bay really wants to keep Ryan Bulaga, they've realized that they need to upgrade their roster in a few different spots and they just are having trouble making the financials make sense with paying Bulaga top tier right tackle money while still trying to plug some of those other spots Including inside linebacker, maybe defensive line, uh, tight end, you know, whatever wide receiver, whatever it may be. Uh, if they need some more cap space, they could say, "Hey." you know, we're going to have to move on from Corey Lindsley so we can bring Brian Bulaga back. Uh, Corey Lindsley was only going to be in our plans for one more year anyway. They could theoretically move uh, Elton Jenkins into center, put Lucas Patrick out at left guard. Uh, They could also put Lucas Patrick at center and keep Jenkins at left guard as well. So they would have some options. Remember, they just spent money and extended Lucas Patrick. They have him still on a really nice team-friendly deal. Uh, But at the same point, you know, at at backup money, it's okay money for Lucas Patrick. But if if you're able to get away with paying Lucas Patrick as a starter uh, with that contract they just gave him, uh, that's a big win. That's like a rookie type salary. So again, not advocating for it. Love Corey Lindsley. He should be the starter at center next year, but I'm just saying that sometimes those surprise cuts are because of cost, not necessarily due to play on the field. Um, I'll get more into Lucas Patrick in just a moment, but uh, again, last thing I want to say there, really nice season from Corey Lindsley. And like I said, I definitely think he should be back next year. Right guard, Billy Turner, Kind of similar to um, Elton Jenkins a little bit. I thought he, for the most part throughout the season, was the weakest link, but he was also fine. You know, he was exactly what I think Green Bay expected. A solid player, at right guard, unspectacular, made mental lapses, also had some of the best blocks on the season. He just uses that strength and athleticism and some points can just overpower opposing defensive linemen. But the inconsistency is concerning, but that's exactly what was on tape from his time with Denver as well. I think had those last two games specifically, Seattle and San Francisco, not been on the tape and you just graded his regular season, I think you feel pretty good about Billy Turner and what he put on through week 17 the season. It was average, it was fine, maybe slightly below average as Brandon mentioned, but I think you look at the tape from San Francisco and Seattle, and as I mentioned earlier, you know he was banged up in that week 17 game, almost had to come out, kind of gutted it out. I'm not sure how much those injuries affected him, but he was the weakest link on offense, not just on the offensive line, on offense, in those two games. Seattle attacked him, San Francisco attacked him, and that's something that Green Bay is gonna to have to work on going forward, and, and Billy Turner's gonna to need to do better going forward as well. Uh, as I mentioned with Brandon, he's gonna be on the team next year based off of his contract. I I think it's a nightmare if you want to kick him to right tackle. I do not think that should even be within the realm of possibility next year, uh, barring injury. You you have to have better options than that. So don't like that as an option. I think he still is fine at right guard. You would like to see him improve his play a little bit in the second year of the same system, Uh, but uh, I think ultimately what you get is a average to slightly below average player. And hopefully those two games against Seattle and San Francisco were more due to maybe some injuries uh, that were forcing them to play a little bit differently. And that's not a harbinger of things to come over the course of the next season. Right tackle, uh, Brian Bulaga. Uh, this is somebody that I I fully believe you need to bring back. Uh, Last week when I talked to Aaron Nagler, I know he made the prediction that he thinks uh, Brian will not be back, and uh, his his thought process certainly makes sense, right? You know, Green Bay's not uh, in the business of giving third contracts to offensive linemen uh, for good reason. It it usually does not turn out very well. I just think it depends on what Brian Bulaga wants, and I think it depends on, uh, you know, a variety of different factors and how they think they can plug that hole I just think he he matters too much. And even if you can get 12 really good games out of him, 12 good games out of him, I think that's worth the price and hope that he's uh, available in the postseason should, should Green Bay be lucky enough to be there again next year. So uh, I, I'm all for bringing Brian Bulaga back. I do think you have to make some decisions. And uh, I thought he had a really nice year again this year. Maybe not quite as good as as some people thought, but uh, he's such a a, a pro's pro and a really solid player at right tackle. Not gonna be that all pro, Pro Bowl level player, but uh, above average at the right tackle position in the NFL. And that that has a lot of value in today's game. And as I mentioned with Brandon as well, it has a ton of value when Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback and he tends to hang on to the ball a little bit more. That really kind of transitions into Jared Valdir. You know, I think there's some belief that maybe Green Bay could bring Valdir back on a, a one-year, much lower cost than Brian Bulaga. And, and maybe there's some truth to that. I will say this. I, I don't think Valdir is as good as Bulaga. I think you're taking a hit there. He just came off a season in which he retired and then unretired. And I think knowing how GMs operate in this league, that is going to be something that's going to be cause for concern. If you let Bulaga walk and then give Valdir money and then come training camp he's like you know what i i'm decided my body's not what i want it to be or my mind's just not in it i'm going to hang it up again i think there's some concern there and now all of a sudden you're without a right tackle and all the free agents and draft picks that you would potentially take have come and gone so i i don't love that option i really do think that if you could get Valdeer coming back on a team friendly deal I would do it one way or the other, whether you have Bulaga or not, I'm all in for that because he has the ability to play left tackle or right tackle. Having that caliber of player as a backup, as a swing tackle is massive. So I'm for bringing him back if you can get him back at a decent deal. I just think there's a lot of layers to unpeel here as to whether or not he wants to be back. Does he want to play this season? Does he want to be a starter? Is he okay with being a swing player? Are you bringing back, back Brian Bulaga? How much are you paying Brian Bulaga? There's a lot to, to unpack there. And I think until we know a little bit more about a few of those things, it's tough to say. But I'm fully for trying to bring him back uh, on a team-friendly deal, one way or the other. And going back to Aaron Nagler's point of, you know, yeah, if, if they could get him back on a, a decent deal and then pick up a right tackle in the first few rounds of the draft to develop, okay, uh, you know, I could live with that. But like I said, I I just think you have to be careful with with trusting Valdir a little bit too much. And I, I think based off of his, you know, performance. At the end of the year, I think people maybe have a little bit too high of uh, expectations for him. He's good. Like I said, I just don't think he's as good as what Brian Bulaga is at this point in his career. Lane Taylor, really interesting. They have the ability to get off that contract, and I would think that they would do so. Uh, but, you know, his contract's not terrible for a backup offensive lineman. And I think you have to be careful as well because all of a sudden, if, if you don't bring Bulaga back, you don't bring Valdir back, you cut Lane Taylor. You have not only the right tackle position to figure out, you have no depth. I mean, yes, you have Lucas Patrick, but you're basically going Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Lindsley, uh, you know, Billy Turner, Lucas Patrick. And then, yeah, are you starting Billy Turner at right time? You have a lot to address, is my point. So, uh, you have a lot of depth that you need to cover. You have a lot of, uh, you know, you have to figure out the right tackle position. So, having Lane Taylor as depth, uh, I think, is nice. Um, having some potential competition as well for potentially Billy Turner, not the worst idea either. So, I, th- and again, you could potentially, and again, not recommending this, you could move on from Lindsley in the higher deal, swing Jenkins to center, put Lane Taylor at left guard as well. So, Don't like that idea either. Again, I want Lindsley back, but we'll see what what Brian Gutekunst thinks. Uh, Stranger things have certainly happened. I would guess that Lane Taylor is not back, especially coming off an injury, and uh, he'll be a free agent once Green Bay releases him. Lucas Patrick, we kind of touched on. The one thing I'll say there, the cool thing about Lucas Patrick, you go back to uh, the training camp practices, he and Corey Lindsley, the first two out at practice almost every single day. And uh, I think the first practice it was Lindsley and Lindsley was smattered in there. There was a smattering of Corey Lindsley appearances at the first guy out as well. But uh, most of the time it was Lucas Patrick, first guy out in the practice field, you know, every single time. This is a guy who cares about it. And like I said, if, if Green Bay feels comfortable, He knows the checks. He knows the offense. Uh, He's comfortable with Aaron Rodgers. Those two have been on the same team for a while. We'll see what happens. But uh, I think if nothing else, Green Bay's got themselves a good backup along the interior of the offensive line. Alex Light, I would like to see moved into guard. I think he's a much better guard than he is a tackle. I think we've seen that tackle is not a fit for him. I still think he can play in this league, at least as maybe a seventh or eighth offensive lineman. Would like to see him moved into guard because again, I just don't think tackle's his position. Jason Spriggs, an interesting player. I think a lot of people have probably forgot that he's even still on the roster. I think the interesting thing here is that they they kept him on IR throughout the entirety of the season, rather than just letting him go uh, with an injury settlement, even if you ended up paying still the, the length of the contract. Now, Maybe this was just for compensation pick strategy or something where you keep him on the, the roster for the entirety of the year, and if he gets picked up, you know maybe you cancel out a compensation pick or something like that. But it is a little intriguing to me that they decided to keep him on on the injured reserve throughout the entirety of, se- of the season, uh, which makes me maybe believe they would they would bring him back on a a one year prove it deal. I don't think so. I think he's probably gone, but again, it's, it just raises up a little bit of a question mark for me as to, you know, why they kept him on that uh, IR throughout the the season and just never figured out a settlement with him. And I know Brian Gutekunst was somebody who was really high on Jason Spriggs. So maybe he's willing to give him one more chance on a, a minimum deal with no guarantees. If he shows that he can, uh, you know, show some improvements, shows that he can play, you keep him. If not, you release him, no harm, no foul. But I just, I mean, Spriggs wasn't good when he was healthy. And, uh, it, it just seems like it's time to move on. Yash Nijman will be interesting to see if he can come back and build on his rookie year after he was on the practice squad and then, uh, made the, the regular season roster before having to go on IR. Um, Cole Madison, I, I think his career is really on the line. Probably this off season, uh, I think he needs to have a really big off season and show that he's ready to compete in this league. Uh, of course, the the off the field issues, uh, and then you know having the the injury plagued season this year, um, and even before the injury plagued, he was basically on a red shirt season this year. So it's going to take a, a big off season and a big performance in training camp and preseason to make the fifty three next year for Cole Madison. John Leglue and uh, Cody Conway, two other people that were on the roster. Leglue made the regular uh, 53, whereas Conway was on the practice squad be totally transparent. I have no freaking clue. Uh, I haven't done a ton of research on either LaGlue or Conway. Uh, both of them are tackle type prospects that uh, will go into the uh, the next season with future deals and uh, we'll see if anything comes of that. But that's where we leave the 2019 season and go into the 2020 season at offensive line. Uh, I think there's some some really good building blocks there and I think there's some opportunity, but that, that right tackle and uh, the depth of the offensive line are going to be some areas that certainly need some, some addressing uh, as we go into this off season that does it for me today. That really does it for the the season. I mean, it seems crazy that the the season is is come to an end. Uh, the off will will go at warp speed. I'm sure as it always does. Uh, the combine is is coming up before you know it. Uh, before that, uh, you know, or right after that, it'll be you know free agency, and then we'll head into the draft. It'll be rookie mini camps, mini camps, and OTAs. Training camp will be here, and then you know before you know it, it'll be preseason games, and we'll be discussing the final fifty three and. Uh, kicking off the 2020 season, which will hopefully be very fruitful for Green Bay and, uh, the fans. So we'll be here for it the entirety of the way. And I think, I think the off season is always so much fun because You know, within the first few weeks of the regular season, you sometimes know who's good and who's bad. You know, through the first few weeks of the the offseason, you know, it's still so much fun. You've got, you know, so much draft talk. You've got so much free agent talk. And again, we're going to be here to cover for it, cover you all for it at the Pack a Day podcast. So make sure to join us every day. We still have a little bit of recap to go through for the 2019 season. And before you know it, a lot of the draft and free agent talk is going to ramp up pretty aggressively. So you're going to want to make sure that you're here for that breaking down some of the people that we think could be fits for the Packers in free agency, and then some of the people who we think can uh, you know, be fits for the Packers in the draft as well. Of course, we'll break down whoever gets signed in free agency, whoever gets picked in the draft, break down some of those mini camps and OTAs. So it's going to be a really fun offseason. I absolutely cannot wait. So again, make sure that you're subscribed and checking it out every single day, 365 days a year. That does it for me today. Again, a huge thank you to Brandon Thorne for joining me. Follow him at Brandon Thorne NFL. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL, and you can follow the podcast at Packet A Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me as always, but until next time, Go Pack Go!